these round things. They're they're kind of a, a, a purplish gold on the bottom, and they make great coasters now. That that's that's how I, I was watching the Lord of the Rings at the time. I've heard tales of such devices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, in days of old, um, under the misty DVD. Yes. Welcome to episode 73 of the Movie Bite Podcast, the show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, trailers, TV shows, and more. Today is Tuesday, December 17th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined, as always, by my faithful Hobbit companion, my co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I'm doing great, TJ. How about you? I'm doing well. I mean, I'm doing better than I was. I almost died last week. I, you know, yeah. so if you hear me coughing and hacking, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <laughs> you'll you'll know it's it's I'm 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 gonna be okay. I'm I'm not gonna die actually this time. So well, well, we've learned what we have to do to get Joe back on the show. Yeah, I just get deathly <laughs> ill, and then it'll then it'll be good. Uh, before we get too much further down the road, let me introduce the other two uh, guests that we have with us. Uh, returning to the show, one of our regulars uh, is uh, Fizz, Mike Fizzle. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm good, TJ. I'm glad to hear that you are recovered, I or at least mostly recovered. I wouldn't say recovered. I still feel pretty uh, blah. I just, you know, it's I can't quite recover my energy. I sit at the computer all day because of, of my job, and I just sort of stare at the screen, and it kind of stares back at me, and I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, but, you look you look kind of blah. I mean, from where I'm sitting, so I can understand that. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, Fizz. And then our other guest is uh, someone who's been on the show before, uh, and he's it's been uh, overdue in getting you back on the show. So uh, give a good warm welcome out there in the audience to Mr. Clark Douglas. Hi, thank Yay. you for having me back. Yay. It's it's a pleasure to be back here. Yes, it, it, it it's good. It's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, we and and I thought about you. And actually, I was trying to reassemble the uh, same uh, cast, if you will, that uh, discussed the original <laughs> Hobbit film. But you're the only one who is able to return and be a part of this. Uh, so, aside from myself, so um, alas, yes, alas. But you know what? I think we have a good a good crew here to talk about uh, some films and to talk about the Hobbit: The Desolation of Smaug. Sm- Smog. Did <laughs> how are you? Saying that? <laughs> if you've seen the honest trailer, you kind of know what I'm hinting at there. Um, so first up, uh, Fizz. I'm not going to let you be a part of this conversation. I just wanted to mention this really quickly, and that is the responsive redesign of Movie Bite. I finally, even though in my, even though I was deathly ill uh, toward the end of my illness, there I I was able to get to my computer and finish up that design, and I rolled it out earlier this week. Uh, and so Chad, you're you're pretty excited about it. Yeah, it looks great. I'm looking at it on my computer at the moment, but what I'm really excited about is that I can look at it from my phone and not have to zoom in on the text and stuff like that. It, it just clears up a lot of those navigational issues and looks yep. great. Yep. I'm happy with it, TJ. Now, uh, uh, Clark, I don't know if you visit the site very much, but it wasn't very mobile-friendly before. Uh, I did visit it a decent amount, but uh, mostly on the you know regular standard version. I, I hadn't looked at the mobile version much. Yeah. Well, it's so, yeah, it's responsive. So as you resize your browser, you'll you'll actually get the same experience if you shrink down the side of your browser. But very uh, cool. yeah. Anyway, I it, 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 it took a lot of time, and I put a lot of time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears into it, <laughs> Fizz. <clears throat> so um, you know, you, you, you I'm, I'm referring a little bit to a uh, a little bit of uh, poo pooing that that Fizz did on not on the podcast, but uh, on on in the comment section of my article. So. Well, I'm not going to go undefended here, TJ, and I know I'm not technically supposed to jump in, but I want to. I want to. I want to back up what Chad is saying. I think, as 
you kind of pointed out in the post that kind of introduced it, you're really trying to get it to a more mobile user base. And I think that's a really great way to go. So it looks great on my phone. I just don't visit it on my phone a lot Mm -hmm. because kind of like you, I'm strapped to a computer like all day, you know, sitting in front of it, doing my job. So I've always got like another computer off to the side where I can bother you and all the other (laughs) unfortunate people that run into me on the movie bite. So I I typically prefer the, the desktop version. I think we lost a little bit, but what it does for mobile is great. All the podcast features, it so improves upon what was there before. So I think your hard work's really going to pay off. I hope so. And and I'd like to talk with you more to see what it is you think that that, that you're missing exactly. I, I think I kind of know where you're coming from, from what we talked about earlier. But it's supposed to be as good or better on the desktop as well as the iPhone or, or any other mobile device. So, Well, anytime with a thing like this, TJ, what you're going to get is – there's going to be naysayers. Haters. Who you, you just can't make happy. <laughs> and ultimately, no matter what you try to do to make it better, I'm just going to be like, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's you know? what I was so, getting from you is get off my lawn. So. Well, this is this is way meta, so we need to move on. But I just wanted to mention it because I did pour a, quite a portion of my life into the redesign of the site. So um, I just wanted to mention it. And if you, if you haven't visited the site yet, those listening, uh, go ahead and head over to moviebyte.com and you can see what we're talking about. It's a complete, complete refresh in the look of it. It doesn't, in, in many ways it's the same, but in many ways it looks completely different. So, um, moving on, um, I just wanted to talk about a little bit of film stuff, uh, before we dove into our review of The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. And one of those things is, uh, an upcoming film called Pan, uh, where Peter Pan is getting an origin story, and uh, we know the release date now. Uh, Warner Brothers has dated Pan, it's Peter Pan origin tale, for June 26, 2015. And I wanted to get you guys' opinion on this. I, I, I certainly didn't need more Peter Pan stories, but I wanted to see what you guys had to say about this. Yeah, yeah. I sort of have the same opinion as you. I mean, it. I like the Disney franchise, or the, the first film for what it was, and I like Hook uh, well enough, but uh, other than that, I don't think I really wanted a lot more Peter Pan. Yeah. What do you got to say, Clark? Yeah, I, I, I think this whole uh, sort of reimagined, slightly darker but not too dark fairy tale thing is sort of played out a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it looks like they're going to be trying to do this with, with just about every popular animated film, you know, doing a live action version and, and making it a little grittier, a little more grown up. But um None of these projects look particularly interesting. Alice in Wonderland certainly uh, wasn't terribly interesting to me. I know it was a huge hit, but right. uh, not not a very good movie. Yeah, and uh, they've got Maleficent coming up, and they've got this, <laughs> and they've got uh, a Jungle Book live action reboot yeah. they're working on. And you know, I'll, I'll, I, I don't know. None of these projects seem particularly inspired to me. Um, yeah, it, every one of those <laughs> that you mentioned is it, just sort. Of, I feel just sort of like, what, what, meh. Why? Why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> you know there there is one Peter Pan project which I heard about a couple of years ago and I think it it sort of died in the development process but did sound intriguing which is where it was going to be a present day thing and Captain Hook was going to be a police captain and he was going to be the protagonist of this story trying to catch this um this child kidnapper named Peter Pan who was kind of a creep <laughs> and, uh, I thought that might be a fun little twist on the idea but it 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 sort of died out and aaron eckhart was going to be in it but uh well that kind of follows the the whole wicked concept right or the right 
looking at yeah. the other side of it. Like it, they really weren't as bad as we always made them out to be. And, and at one yeah. point, uh, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood was going to be the same thing, where uh, the sheriff of Nottingham was going to be this noble, decent lawman, and Robin Hood was this pesky thief who was always messing things up for him. And, I'm not interested you know, in that at all. The, <laughs> sure, but you know, it's another subgenre, I guess, is what. Yeah, I'm yeah. Getting at. But, well, I mean, it's been entirely possible. Uh, popular i mean they're broadway plays about it now so it's the cash in on the next thing yeah i mean i, I suppose fizz you would say well you know there's there goes tj hating on movies no, again, but tj honestly <laughs> i i mean i almost am scared to admit it because all four of us once again are kind of agreeing on something <laughs> I, I, i'm not really interested in peter pan much less a remake of peter pan the, the best thing that i could get out of if I ever want to see Peter Pan, I would just go watch Hook. That's how much like I don't even really care for the original Peter Pan stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, and I'll, this I'll say, me at all. I'll say too, the live action Peter Pan they did about a decade ago um, with Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook, I thought was was pretty decent. Um, Jason mm-hmm. Isaacs as Captain Hook. Am I, how is it possible? Yeah. I'm not aware of this. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know, but it's really good. It's 2003 or four. Oh, I think. oh, 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 maybe. I yeah, have yeah. Seen, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it's not a modern classic or anything, but I thought it was a very good sort of traditional take on the Peter Pan story. Yeah. Now that I see this, I remember it. And I, I do. I, I think I would say I like this better, certainly than the Disney version. I, I was never fond of the Disney version. So, yeah. Uh Anyway, yeah, this whole this whole business of of rebooting all the things, uh, and and especially you know making them grittier, making you know c- cartoons live action and and all this stuff. I, I just I feel like 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 you said, Clark. I think it's played out. I think we're done with it. Why are we still doing it? Right. Yeah, and, and I, I imagine it'll it'll you know bite them sooner or later. People will get tired of it, and these movies will start flopping. But until that happens, I mean. These are going to keep getting churned out. So it's just, you know, yeah. uh, a matter of time, I suppose. All right. Well, enough of Peter Pan. Let's talk about the AV Club's uh, 15 worst films of 2013. Have you all had a chance to look over this list? I yeah. did. Yeah. I'm happy I only saw two of the films they listed. Who, who here has seen Planes? I did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> was it sounds so defeated. Was it was yeah. it as bad as as we were as I thought it would be? Let's put it. That yes, way. It, it was awful. It was awful. And, and I mean, this is something a lot of a lot of critics out there said, but it's true. It really does um, make the Cars movies, both of them, look very very good in retrospect. Um, I mean, I've always liked the I, I like the first one anyway. I, I like the first one. I had mixed feelings on the second one, right? But uh, whatever flaws those movies had, they were certainly made with a lot of love and care. And Planes just feels like such a cynical cash in. I mean, it, it's so uninspired in every way. It's 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 bad. It's really bad. Yeah, I, I expected as much, and I was told by some people it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. But I I just could not bring myself to go see that. Like there were so many other things I'd rather be seeing in the theater. Some of them not even that great, but but certainly above the level of where I wanted to see Planes. Yeah. You know? So, but neither- it's been. Oh, uh, oh, I was just going to say, it, it's, it's been kind of a rough year for animation in general, I think. But Planes is definitely at the bottom of the list there. 
Yeah, um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember all the animated films I've seen. I think Monsters University is probably going to top my list of animated films, unless I'm forgetting something. Uh, yeah, well, you haven't seen Frozen yet, so... No, and I heard from you two, uh, Joe and, uh, and Chad, you two, that, that it was really good, so... It was. I was, I was in my deathbed, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, to put this in, perspe- in perspective, though, the three animated films that are nominated at the Golden Globes, which aren't the Academy Awards, granted, but uh, are... Uh, Broods and Despicable Me 2 and Frozen. So, I mean, just looking at those three, it's obvious what the winner is. And I don't know what that means for the Academy Awards in February. But I, I was genuinely shocked to see uh, Monsters University left off of that list. Um, yeah. You know, I know it's a sequel and that hurts it a little bit, but sure. so is Despicable Me 2. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it, it's, it, you know, Despicable Me 2 is fine, but. For my money, Monsters University is a much, much better film. Agreed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fizz, you have anything to add? No, actually, I was thinking the same thing. Um, with the the actual list, though, uh, I was I was very disheartened. I don't I don't I think Man of Steel is a pretty bad movie. Yeah, but I think it's a bit of a stretch to actually put it on like the the worst films of the year. I don't know. I kind of agreed with that decision. <laughs> I, I mean, I think if you take a like. A good day to die hard. I'm a big die hard fan. So I look at it this way. Like I wanted a good day to die hard to be another acceptable, at least uh, piece of filmmaking in the die hard canon. And it was awful. And I tried right. to convince myself it was good, but it was a bad movie from start to finish. There was like very little redeemable about any of the movie. And from what I'm reading from most of these and from the trailers that I've seen and the reviews that I've read that, that, holds pretty true with most of these movies right but i feel like man of steel there was there was some good in man of steel um i, overall, mi- I, I missed it the wasn't, good parts man well when, <laughs> this is where i think we'll disagree but <laughs> I, like i said I, I did not think man of steel was a great film but i think putting it on like the you know the top 15 worst of the year is one of those things where you know, probably a lot of people didn't see and while we were here or dealing with idiots uh, you know, things like that or, ty- you know, well, there's probably a lot of people that saw Tyler ty- ty- Perry Temptations, but this is one of those films where they can say, oh, and this film that everyone did see, it was also awful. But I- like I said, it's it's a little bit of a stretch to me to put it on the top 15 worst, especially when I, I know people who would put it and are respectable people who have fairly good opinions about what is good and bad, putting it near the top of their, in their top 10. Mm. So I think it's more it, of a, a, a grab I mean, um, for attention than I, anything I'll else. I'll give you this. It was a very polarizing film. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know anybody who would thought a middle in middle of the road of it. I, I am in the camp that it was awful, 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 you mm-hmm. know, and I, I know, well, I take that back. I think Joe was in the middle of the road a little bit. I'll chip in here and say, I'm kind of middle <laughs> of the road with this movie too. Um, I'm very conflicted about man of steel. Oh, it was awful. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Man of Steel has, you know, depending on your point of view, it could be good or bad. Or you could even be like, oh, it was okay. Like, uh, I thought it was like kind of okay. But A Good Day to Die Hard was awful. Right. I and mean, I, I was going to say when you were saying that, uh, I think I went, you know, the stages of grief. I think I went through all the stages of grief with A, with a Good Day to Die Hard before I got out of the theater. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 because I've, I've, even the one that people don't like, the the last one before this one, uh, the the fourth one, I think it is. Yeah, uh, I, I liked like it, it well enough. 
And I've liked all the Die Hard films, and I did not. (laughs) This one was, like I said, I went through all the stages of grief in the theater about this film and and, and walked out going, I will never watch this movie again so long as I shall live. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to make too big of a deal about it, but that was, I mean, that was the only thing I really had written down for this top 15 list. When you linked it on the movie bite, I was kind of like, yeah. I think most of these are pretty, you know, nine out of 10 people are saying that this was an awful film. But I think you'd probably have you'd be split five to five or six to four on Man of Steel. You're probably so, right. That, that's a little I, bit I, of a stretch yeah. to me. I, I think you're probably right about that. But I'm also guessing that the people who hated Man of Steel hated it so much that they put it on at the number one spot on their <laughs> ballots, making this list. Um, because I, I've encountered a lot of uh, people who saw Man of Steel, and regardless of you know what qualities certain elements of the movie may have had, they just felt so betrayed by how the movie treated Superman specifically and the way they presented him as a character that, you know, really any other virtues it might have had didn't matter. And I can, I can understand that, really. I, can't, I don't necessarily feel the same way, but I can understand why people would. And um, yeah, I, I definitely get why there are a lot of people who, who sort of passionately hate this movie. All right, well, I'm not going to read through all 15. Uh, for those listening, if you want to... Uh find out what what movies are on that list the, the link will be in the show notes at moviebyte.com slash mb podcast slash 73 um but uh, the one film that i i quibbled with on to being on this list was gangster squad which i found to be quite an enjoyable film i i didn't i don't know what how you guys feel about gangster squad i thought it was a, a enjoyable film and my wife liked it even more than i did well for me when i saw gangster squad i i enjoyed it and then i walked out of the theater and i started thinking about it and I started ticking off things that I didn't like about it and things that I thought they could have done better, things that they didn't do well at all. And uh, so while watching, I was having a lot of fun, but afterward it just sort of soured. Mm. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's an acceptable opinion. Have you other two uh, seen gangster squad? I didn't see it. Yeah. I, I didn't catch it. I was excited to see it, but then you're actually the first person TJ that I've heard that enjoyed gangster squad. I, I had a number of friends who went and saw it and they just told me to just completely skip it. Don't even, you know, don't even watch it. If someone gives you a free copy of it or lets you borrow a DVD or whatever. I'm not sure why. I, I, I'll they, admit, they didn't, yeah. They didn't explain, but okay. Well, I'll, I'll admit that I was sort of wary of it when I heard that they had to reshoot the entire third act sort of at the last minute. Um, you know, with the theater shooting that had taken place, apparently the original version of the movie sort of climaxed with a giant shooting inside a movie theater. And after that happened, they figured that that might not be the best idea. So they, they scrapped that and had to start over. But, um, you know, that usually means uh, problems in, in terms of uh, the narrative when you're having to rework things that late in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you could feel it a little bit, but I think you also, um, if you knew the history of it, you understood the dilemma. And I think if you didn't know the history of it, you wouldn't have noticed it, really. Mm. I, I think well, that's it worked, good. But that's good. Anyway, well, like I, said, I haven't seen it, so I can't. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly recommend it, Fizz, and then you can you can uh, reach through the Skypes and beat me up when it doesn't work <laughs> out for you. No, no, I mean, I, I would be more than happy to give it a watch at some point. I mean, I'm not opposed. You know, it's just when when I get that much negative feedback, it goes to like the bottom of my list because Lord knows I'm sure I've watched many, many films in my life that are much worse than however bad gangster squad may or may not be. So, yeah. All right. 
One more thing before we get to The Hobbit, uh, and that is, uh, since we've talked about these 15 worst films, I thought we might uh, just mention any films we're still looking forward to this year. There's a couple that uh, <clears throat> that I haven't seen yet, and then I think we're we're just about to wrap the year up. But anybody looking forward to any films they haven't seen yet? Clark. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, well, a couple of things. Uh, there's one opening up this week, American Hustle, which looks very interesting. Um David O. Russell is the director of that one, and I've I've liked more or less everything he's made thus far. He's he's a very interesting director. And then I'm even more excited about uh, opening on Christmas Day, The Wolf of Wall Street, Martin Scorsese's new film, which looks to be a uh, a very colorful look at the world of high finance. <laughs> and yes. uh, I, I, I'm I'm most intrigued by that one, uh, both. You know, from the promotional materials I've seen and from what I've been hearing critics who have seen it say, it, it sounds like a very interesting film. Um, getting a lot of comparisons to Goodfellas, of all things, uh, yeah, um, and of I, all the movies in his filmography. I really love Goodfellas, too. I mean, it's an amazing uh, film. Yeah. So. And I've heard a lot of people say uh, that it's quite possibly the most energetic film of his career, which, again, considering Goodfellas and some of the other things he's made, would be saying something. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't quite decide whether I want to go see this or not, and and the reason is I've also, I mean, just given the fact that it's, it, it flirted with the NC-17 rating, and that just sounds yeah. very close to my line. I mean, everybody draws their own lines, I suppose, and sure. some people may not even care, but I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to subject myself to that or not, so... Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I, I'll, certainly on the one hand, I am looking forward to it, but uh, I, I will see it in some capacity in some way at some point. Uh, Chad, what are you, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to those same two films. Um, but I'm also looking forward to saving Mr. Banks, which, uh, was unfortunately in limited release. And so I didn't get to catch it last week like I wanted to. Um, but I'll be catching it sometime in the next week, probably. And, uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty, which opens on Christmas day. And I know that you're not very excited for TJ, but, uh, uh, I've been hoping for it to be good for a little while now. I don't know what the critics are saying. I don't know if it has any early buzz, but uh, the trailers have me interested, and I'm hoping it's good. All right, Fizz? Well, this month has been by far the busiest month of movie releases that I've been interested in all year, and I have no idea how I'm going to see everything. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm supposed to be recording a Christmas episode uh, for my podcast on Thursday, and I asked my wife, if since we're going to be out of town this weekend, if she wanted to see a movie, she's like, well, what are we going to go see? And I said, okay, you have three choices. <laughs> we can go see American Hustle, Saving Mr. Banks, or Anchorman 2. And she's like, hmm, I'll have to let you know that night because those are so all diametrically opposed. Anchorman yeah. 2. Uh, you're, you're looking forward to Anchorman 2. Oh, Anchorman 1 is so incredibly funny. Uh, I normally don't go see comedies in the theater, but uh, it's Christmas and I want to laugh. I've been seeing so many serious films uh, as of late. It would be nice just to go and laugh in a in like a an audience full of people laughing because they're supposed to laugh, not because they're laughing at the wrong thing or right. because they're just being loud. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to uh, actually have to jump in and join you on that one, Mikey. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't seen the original Anchorman until like a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was a lot funnier than I expected it to be. I don't normally like Will Ferrell, but uh, it's pretty hysterical and so i'm looking forward to the second one as well clark uh, you gonna join the pile up clark and tell me how good anchorman one is uh, it's it's probably will ferrell's best movie as far as i'm concerned at least Uh, his mm -hmm. best comedy 
Yeah, uh, I, I take that back. Stranger Than Fiction is his best movie, but Anchorman yeah. is really, really funny. Um, okay. So I, I am looking forward to it, not with as much enthusiasm as those other two. But oh, no. I, I will, I will say, um, I, I would have added Saving Mr. Banks too, but I've actually already seen it, and it's very good. Oh, good. Oh, oh cool. showing off. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm that will save Mr. Banks is the one I'm looking forward to the most for the to close out the year. I will be seeing it hopefully before the end of the year. And uh, Chad, we haven't talked about this yet, uh, but I suspect that that will be the next film that we review, although maybe not the next episode that we do with the podcast. Sounds good to me. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that. That is the one I'm looking forward to. I am going to try to catch up and see Frozen since I was supposed to see it and was supposed to review it and and uh, was not able to. Uh, I've heard good things about that. Um, so. Yeah, those are the, those are the two that that I'm expecting to wrap out the year with. Cool. <clears throat> I did make a note. I forgot to I forgot to make the joke. I was gonna say that my the film I'm looking forward to the most is Justin Bieber's Believe, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yes, are you? Well, looking, you were, be, be honest, Chad. You're looking forward to that one. Oh, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this: if you are interested in a movie uh, around a musician, then. Inside Lewin Davis is also on my list of things that I really want to see before the end of the year. So when does that come out? Is it already out? Uh, according to the calendar, it's supposed to come out, I believe, next week. Okay. Um, I, I hate to keep jumping back in, but well, I will ahead. say I, I've seen that one too. Um, <laughs> for, for my money, the best movie of the year. Really? Oh wow! Yes. Which Inside one was that Lewin, again? Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Incredible, incredible movie. Yeah. Okay. I've I've heard American Hustle was probably going to be one of the best movies, but th- those two are kind of like I want to see them because I feel like they're going to win Oscars. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Oscars, or maybe not, um, we should jump into our review of The Hobbit: The Desolation of Smog. Uh, and I, I say jokingly, it probably will win some awards for certainly for visual effects and things. So we'll see yeah. how that goes, but. Uh, the Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, uh, came out on December the 13th. It had a budget of, a quite inflated budget of $250 million. It opened uh, this past weekend uh, to the tune of $73.6 million domestically. It has made $215.2 million worldwide. Rotten Tomatoes says that while still slightly hamstrung by middle chapter narrative problems within its formidable length, The Desolation of Smog... Uh, represents a more confident, exciting second chapter for the Hobbit series, directed, of course, by Peter Jackson. Uh, returning writers uh, Fran Walsh, uh, Philippa Boyens, uh, and Peter Jackson, of course. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is still credited. I don't know how much he actually had to do with the writing of that script. And, of course, based on the novel by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, returning, uh, starring, as I <laughs> as I put here, Peter Jackson and a carrot is the first star that we see. <laughs> uh, also starring, of course, Ian McKellen, Martin Freeman, Richard Armitage, Ken Stott, Orlando Bloom, Evangeline Lilly, Benedict Cumberbatch, Stephen Fry, among others. Uh, returning to the uh, scoring was Howard Shore. Uh, I, I felt less strongly about this one than I did about The Hobbit. I thought his uh, The Hobbit score was phenomenal. This one was fine. Um, and uh, let me just give us a little quick recap of the story, and then we'll be diving in here. After successfully crossing over and under the Misty Mountains, Thorin and company must seek aid from a powerful stranger before taking on the dangers of Mirkwood Forest without their wizard. If they reach the human settled, if they reach the human settlement of Lake Town, it will be time for Bil- Hobbit Bilbo Baggins to fulfill his contract with the dwarves. The party must complete the journey to Lonely Mountain, and Burglar Baggins must seek out the secret door that will give them access to the horde of the dragon Smaug. 
and where has Gandalf got off to, and what was and what is his secret business to the South? Any opening statements you guys would like to make about this film? We'll start with you, Chad. I thought it was better on the whole than the first one. Um, certainly not shorter, but uh, no. <laughs> I thought that story elements were told better, um, and it was more fun. It, there was more to do, uh, so it has that uh, playing with it. Fizz? Well, I thought it was another solid addition to the whole Hobbit, Lord of the Rings kind of legacy it's Peter Jackson interpretation of it. Uh, I didn't actually enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the extended edition of the first film, but it still mm. had a lot of good that outweighed the parts that didn't quite do it for me. What, what do you extend about the first film? I don't get it. Uh, I, when I watch, when I watch these movies, I based on what I saw in Lord of the Rings, I love the fact that I can be immersed in this world. And so anything that extends the immersion I tend to enjoy. So the, the extended edition in the first one gave me a lot more kind of clarification, much like the Lord of the Rings extended editions did. Instead of just being like, hey, this happened, let's move to the next thing. It's like, hey, there's a really complicated conversation that happened and built some character development that I didn't see in the first one. Okay. Uh, it extended some scenes, added some songs, uh, Not yet, which the, I thought the were great. Tro- the Troll King song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has like a proper like Disney villain song. In oh the extended my! Edition. <laughs> we'll really? cir- we'll circle back to that. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So Clark, uh, any opening statements about this film? Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, even though I think it could very easily be subtitled Bilbo Jones and the Temple of Smaug. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's very good. Um. <laughs> Uh, for my part, uh, in in just you know, kind of thinking about this film, I I think that uh, this is one of the greatest works of fan fiction we have ever seen in in <laughs> in the uh, Tolkien universe. Uh, but it, it very it, it, at times it feels very much like fan fiction. Um, I'm I'm not really into fan fiction myself. My wife loves to read the fan fiction sites, and you know, she talks about how some people you know should be able to write you know they should have write books about it, and others you know n- not so much. So it's the fan fiction is a mixed bag. And on the whole, I think that we certainly have a high degree, high level of storytelling. Um, and and but but again, some of it just feels so uh, fan fictiony, and and not in the canon, not in the books, and uh, uh, you know, adding characters because Tolkien did not have enough characters for us to draw from, apparently. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> um, so so we need to add uh, Tauriel, for instance, and we need to add Legolas to the story because this story was lacking uh, a fair amount of Legolas, and so we need to get him in the story. But uh, overall, I'll say, despite my negativity at the st- outset, um, I did enjoy the film more than the first one, uh, and uh, you know, I'm 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 glad for that. I, I didn't I didn't hate the film. Let's put it that way. I I didn't hate it. I, I do feel that Peter Jackson has given a little bit to uh, excesses in filmmaking in his uh, l- later portion of his career here. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I'm coming approaching this thing from. Okay. All right, guys, let's dive in and, and, and talk about what we did like about this film. Uh, Fizz, you're, you seem gung-ho. Let's, let's go. I am gung-ho. Uh, actually, I paid a lot more attention to the CGI in this film based on comments that you and I had, uh, had with one another mm-hmm. in, in relation to like, you know, some of the stuff that kind of seemed unrealistic or a little too sloppily done in the first film. And I really enjoyed most of the CGI stuff in this film. 
Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun and I thought it was really well done uh, on the whole. I mean, there's a couple scenes where th- things that are, are happening that are wacky and you know that it's obviously going to be CGI, but I felt there was a lot more works that were actually in costume as opposed yeah. to, you know, made up uh, the, the kind of river chase scene. Whereas I felt it was obvious in the first one that there was lots of CGI used when they were running through the troll cave. Mm-hmm. This, this one did not strike me quite as CGI'd the, the, the whole river scene. Um, so I enjoyed it a lot more cause I didn't feel like I was watching a, you know, a, 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 a computer rendered whatever. I mean, I just, yeah. it felt more real to me as much as a, like elves running along the coastline, making incredible shots, barrels rolling down a river and then rolling on land. You know, I realize it's still crazy, but it, it, um, it, it did a lot more for me in this one. I, I'd say that's where I'd start. Okay, cool. Clark. Um, yeah, I, I liked a lot of things about this movie. Um, and I, I do kind of, I, I see what you're saying and that it is kind of a fan fiction film, but I've sort of come to terms with the fact that Peter Jackson isn't really making a proper adaptation of The Hobbit mm. um, so much as he is just making a, a epic prequel to his own cinematic Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yes, very much so. Uh, and, and on that level, it, it works a lot better. It, it's kind of terrible as just a Hobbit adaptation. <laughs> but mm. it, it is a lot of fun. And this installment in particular um, had a real sense of momentum which was certainly something the first film was lacking. It had that very start-stop quality. Uh, you had some exciting passages, but then you had a lot of long sort of uh, lulls. And those are enjoyable in some ways, I suppose. You know, they have a kind of meditative quality to them. But uh, this one, it sort of uh, hits the ground running from the very beginning and uh, just builds and builds all the way to the finish line. It's it's definitely, even though it's 160 minutes long, it's still the shortest film this franchise has offered to date. And it feels, I mean, even in comparison to the Lord of the Rings movies, it feels fast paced, which isn't something I thought I would be able to say about any of these Hobbit movies. Right. Um, the cast is still more or less spot on, I think. Uh, you know, there are a couple of smaller players who maybe I'm not crazy about, but for the most part, uh, the cast is wonderful. The action sequences were well done. Um, the material that was added that wasn't in the book, to me at least, felt more engaging this time around than it did in the first film. And uh, it has the best movie dragon of all time, hands down. <laughs> this is so, true. This is true. So it's that. that's a lot of virtues for me. Yeah. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Okay, Chad? Uh, sort of building off of what Clark just said, I really enjoyed the scenes that they inserted into this that built up to Sauron and uh, the ring uh, in this film that we didn't get in the book. They added a couple scenes that were similar in the first film that I just didn't think were as well done. Uh, like when Radagast goes to Dolgoldur. Um It just seemed a little strange in the first film. Um, but I think in the second one, seeing Gandalf go to Dolgoldur. And uh, seeing more of his travels and sort of giving it, getting an explanation behind what he was doing in the books when he disappeared for long chunks of time. Uh, I thought that was really exciting, and I thought it was pretty well done here. Um, I, I mean, also, I, I do think that the cast is pretty much perfect, especially Martin Freeman. He continues to be the perfect Bilbo Baggins, and mm-hmm. uh, they're lucky to have nabbed him. Yep, for sure. 
Mm. All right, so for for my part on on the things that I, I liked about this film, and there was a lot that I liked about this film, and I, I completely agree that the pacing of this film uh, far exceeds the pacing of the first film. Uh, for, I mean, for the first film, and I I'm, I'm no fan of uh, you know all action and no no contemplation, but. When it takes what was it forty seven minutes for the ho- before the Hobbit actually got started? I mean, before the journey began, before Bilbo was on the road, you know, chasing after the dwarves. I mean, that was just too long. I mean, come on, you yeah. know, let's let's get that movie started. And and you know that that really I think created issues for the whole film, just the, in terms of the pacing. So this this film certainly and 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 even even not even compared to the the original film, but just in in general, the pacing of this film is is pretty it's pretty well paced. Uh, I will agree completely with that. Uh, Chad, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, in fact, I said in my review, that uh, my written review, that Martin Freeman is a better Bilbo than Ian Holm. And, and, and that's not saying mm-hmm. that Ian Holm was bad. It's just saying I can't imagine anybody else playing Bilbo at this point other than Martin Freeman. Uh, he continues to completely impress me. Um, and and uh, I've only seen Martin Freeman in one, other, in one episode of uh, Sherlock, uh, and he did an amazing job there, I thought, as well. So I, I, I would like to see more from this actor. Uh, yeah. he's, he's pretty good. Watch the rest of Sherlock. Yes, I, yeah. I intend to. <laughs> I intend to. Uh, Richard Armitage, uh, he, he continues to not be Aragorn. <laughs> That's that's yeah. real. I mean, he's fine, but uh, I, I don't know. I think, and, and I talked to. I, see, I haven't read the books. I know shame horror. Uh, I um, I've I've like read parts of it, and I I think that it's been read to me when I was a kid, and I just don't remember it very well. Uh, but I have talked to my wife, who's a big Tolkien fan, ab- about uh, um, Thorin, and she assures me that Armitage is capturing Thorin correctly. Uh, I just can't. It, it's one of those things where I can't decide whether I like him or not. And and he continues to be this pompous, arrogant moron. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just I, you know, I don't know. Does he strike you guys the same way? Well, I think the key to uh, Thorin. I, I was reading a quote from Richard Armitage the other day somewhere, and he said that he doesn't like playing characters as good or bad. Characters are what they are, who they are, and I think that's really true about Thorin, especially. He's not a bad guy, but he he does have his pride, and he does have uh, his gold and he knows what he wants and he'll do pretty much anything to get to that point. And so part of the fun of the characters trying to decide for us, uh, what we think he's going to do and whether he builds on that expectation or does something completely different. Yeah. Mm. And, and sort of going on what he's saying there, uh, you know, in the first film, when I when I saw Thorin, I was thinking that he was supposed to be the Aragorn of this story, but he just wasn't as interesting. But then watching this second one, I was sort of struck by a notion, and that's that he he's not really the Aragorn of the story. If if he's anybody uh, from the Lord of the Rings, he's much closer to Boromir, um, mm. a, a fundamentally good guy who may or may not be compromised um, right. when faced with certain mm-hmm. sort of moral challenges. And, yeah, and, uh, and that's, I suppose that's a good comparison. Yeah, but it, to me, at least, Thorin was much more interesting this time around than he was the first time, where he was just a grumpy hero whose primary arc was that <clears throat> he didn't like Bilbo that much and then gave him a right. hug at the end. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, I thought he was an interesting character in this one, though. Yeah, perhaps more interesting. Um, perhaps. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, I continue to be like, I, I don't, 
I guess I don't like ambiguity in my characters. I don't mind them being conflicted, but I want I want to have strong feelings one way or the other for my characters. I think that's part of the problem, and, and maybe that's a failing on my part. But I want to say in my mind, I'm rooting for this guy, or I'm I'm wanting this guy to be taken down. And I don't know how I feel about about, about Thorin. So, uh, so there's that. But but that said, um, I'm assured by my wife that he is capturing Thorin uh as as he was written and so that's good and you know um we're supposed to be talking about our likes here so let, let me find some other things to like <laughs> i actually as much as i don't like the additions to the story um we'll come to that i do like the fact that even though like okay so in the book Tolkien didn't know what the ring was. He didn't know that the, the ring that Bilbo had was the one ring to rule them all. He didn't know any of that at the time. And so in the book, the ring is just a ring. It's just a magic ring that makes people disappear. And and it's played differently in the movie, and that works well, um, I, I think. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's almost a subtle thing, but, you know, when Bilbo drops the ring and he's trying to find it and just that kind of that franticness, it, it, it ties mm-hmm. in well, I think, with the series as a whole. And so that that aspect of of changing and adapting, I'm I'm okay with. I think it's working well. Um, oh yeah, I, one of the things that I had written down in my like is the 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 kind of Lord of the Ring tie-ins that we wouldn't have got reading The Hobbit. Sure, but knowing that the Lord of the Rings trilogy exists out there, just taking a little bit of liberty with some of these things. I mean, some of them are subtle, some of them are blatant. You know, like. It, when uh, Legolas sees Gimli's child photo <laughs> in Boyne's pocket or whatever, and you know, ask him if like what unfortunate child or thing is this, you know, uh, it, that that was kind, of, you know, obviously not in the Hobbit, probably nowhere else, and anything else that Tolkien wrote, but it was just this little thing that completely worked for me, um, and, and also the the entire Gandalf side story, the, the this whole thing that he's going to do watching him having to fight, you know, the dark versus light discovering, uh, Sauron becoming the eye, all that stuff just makes the, the events that happen in Lord of the Rings that much more powerful and understandable, I think to a general audience. And so so that, so the extra stuff with, with Gandalf is working for you. Yeah. On the whole, I mean, there, there are, yeah, I mean, there are small things that I could critique about it, but on the whole, that that side story really works for me because of how it preludes and ties in to Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't think it's something that is just fan fiction because they wanted to write a Gandalf story that had nothing to do with anything that's happened. I think by 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 expanding upon that, they really expand upon the things that we've already seen and do it in a positive way, N- not just to film more things for the sake of making a movie longer, but kind of flesh it out a little more. And that works for me. Yeah. Well, and, Go ahead. You know, Oh, I was going to say, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that Tolkien would necessarily have disapproved entirely of some of the stuff they're adding here because he went back and added things himself. The, the great riddles in the dark sequence, which was probably the high point of the first film. Absolutely. Was something he went back and added later to uh, make the story fit with Lord of the Rings a little more comfortably. Right. And, uh, you know, while, while it's impossible to say what he would have thought of the films, I suspect (laughs) he, he might would have also thought they were a bit over dramatic. (laughs) Yes. Um, but, But, uh, 
you know, I don't think it's as much a violation as some people suggest. Yeah, perhaps not. For me, though, the the, the business with Gandalf and Radagast, it, it's it's not working as well as I would want it to. It feels hokey and cheesy, and I would just rather not know. I mean, like, we don't care, really. I don't care. I don't, and I don't think we need to care how Sauron came to power. We don't need to know that, you know... Gandalf is 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 getting his butt kicked by Sauron while he's off away from from the the dwarves. I just I, for me, it's just adding a level of cheese and hokiness that I didn't need. And I think the mystery would have been better just to leave it. Mm. I mean, to me, it, it gives so much more credence to Gandalf's fears and understanding of this world. Come Lord of the Rings time, come time for the Fellowship of the Ring. It it just gives, like I said, it gives him more credence to me. Yeah, I mean, he actually has experienced this. So the, Go ahead, the whole scope of the Lord of the Rings is huge, and this uh, zeroing in on Gandalf now, so that we know what he's thinking later, just makes it both huge and intimate, more intimate at the same time. I think um, it, it's as much Gandalf's struggle as it uh, uh, as it is a struggle for uh, Middle Earth as a whole. All right, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the odd man out on this one, but yes, uh, <laughs> yes, he says with no hesitation. <laughs> All right, well, that that's fine. Um, I I did think that, uh, you know, while we're still talking about things that we like, that that perhaps in in ways that even the first one wasn't, this film had even more beauty of Middle Earth, and I, I did appreciate that. Like there was there's some magnificent shots in this film, guys. Did anybody else see this in the HFR? I have not seen. I'm going to. I have not seen an HFR yet. Mm-hmm. But when I watched the extended edition of the first one, it was, and I was blown away by the beauty that I didn't see the first time I watched the original one. So I can only imagine this one looks even better. Clark, you were going to say something. I was just going to say the one shot in particular that stands out is that moment when uh, he sort of uh, breaks free of the spider's den. Mm. And uh, goes above the treetops and just kind of sees the beauty surrounding him. And, uh, you know, before too long, you're back into sort of frantic, dark action again. But that one sort of just kind of awe-inspiring moment was really striking. Yeah, there was that one. Um, I'm thinking of a particular shot. I can't remember where at in the film it was, but of the Lonely Mountain that I thought was very mm-hmm. striking. Uh, but that that certainly, and, and the color tones, and, and that's, that is one of, you know, for all my complaints of the excesses of Peter Jackson's filmmaking, I think that is one thing he knows how to do very well, is find that beauty, find the correct color tones, and, and really cast a vision for Middle Earth that, uh, that's really on display in a, in a way here that I don't think we've seen before. Uh, so very, very visually striking film, I think, uh, to the film's credit. Uh, and speaking of visually striking things, of course, uh, I, I again found the CGI to be a bit of a mixed bag. I, I still think I don't know what is up with the tools they're using to render Azog and his uh, and now his son. I still think that leaves much to be desired. However, uh, the rendering of Smaug more than makes up for it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I thought that thing was real, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very cool. I mean, um, they, they actually filmed that thing. <laughs> that, yeah. that was how I felt. <laughs> The one dragon in existence they used for this film. I don't know where they found him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really, I, I don't know. It's, 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 there's a little bit of that, you know, monster kind of that, that, that kid in me where, you know, as his belly is kind of lighting up as he's getting ready to breathe fire. I'm like, oh, look out, look out. He's about to breathe fire. Move, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and, and of course, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, another Sherlock talent, um, yep. Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice 
inspired casting, in my opinion. I, I don't know that I would have thought of that, but just wonderful. Well, I think it's really cool that Cumberbatch plays both of the villains in this film. That is true. Um, and so it like transitions back and forth between those scenes where Gandalf is at Dol battling Sauron. And then we have uh, Martin Freeman, Bilbo over here battling Smaug. And uh, it's the same person. I just, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah, which is not the first time. I mean, throughout Lord of the Rings, you've had a lot of the same voice actors playing different characters. Uh, Treebeard uh, is played by the, um, uh, what's the guy's name that plays Gimli? John Rhys-Davies. Yes, John Rhys-Davies. Yeah. Uh, so, and there's lots of things like that throughout. That's it's kind of interesting when you when you look and in, uh, into the voice talent behind those things. So, um, Cumberbatch has been a villain all over the place this year too. Between Star yeah. Trek Into Darkness, and then he was a, a slave owner in Twelve Years a Slave, mm. and um, at least playing a complicated character in the fifth estate playing Julian Assange. So right. yeah. uh, a, a lot of, um, a lot of interesting figures on his resume this year. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely, I guess I would say a star on the rise for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, guys. Well, that's, that's kind of the end of my list. What, what else have you guys got before we talk about things that we might not have liked, which we've kind of been doing, but you know, we haven't officially gotten there. Well, I, I will mention one other thing. I, I know we kind of joke that, wasn't there enough characters already? So they did, did he really need to add more to to this whole Hobbit deal? And I'm not a big uh, Evangeline Lilly fan, <laughs> but I really like Toriel, or however you properly pronounce her name. Tariel. Tariel. What doesn't matter? Um, it's not a canon character. I don't care how it's pronounced. <laughs> well, I mean, but if you look back, you have an entire book or a series that's written, and you're going to have three movies, and there's not a basically a single female character. There's no one for like people to look women to look up to. And I don't think you have to go a hundred percent in the PC kind of direction to see that that's not really a great, you know, I, it's not, I can, I can understand that choice. And I think they weave it in, you know, they, they take one line about Legolas's dad being a King that like is written somewhere and they develop a whole story that really worked for me in this movie and kind of weave her into that. And I didn't even think twice about it. And I was really surprised I liked it so much. And I completely understand. I I do get it. And I had that thought when I was writing my article. I thought, do I say anything about this or is this just a distraction? But I did have the thought that there aren't a lot of female characters. There, there are a few in Lord of the Rings. I don't, I guess there's probably hardly any in, well, there's there's in none in the Hobbit. The That's Hobbit, the thing. right? And and so I, I kind of understand, I suppose, from that perspective. But but I didn't feel like uh, Tauriel added anything to this film uh, other than ooh, Evangeline Lilly. You know, she's considered to be one of the more attractive uh, people in this world, I suppose. And so there you go. I mean, I, I just didn't see how that added anything. And and, speak, think- and and I feel the same way. Not not because uh, she's a woman, because I feel the same way about Legolas. Like, why was he in this film? Well, and, and, and man, it, why does he look so old? My goodness. <laughs> well, he's 10 years older. Yeah. I mean, he's like 36, 36 now. I, I was uh, looking uh, up. I'll say um, I, I wasn't necessarily crazy about Legolas being in this film because he just seemed sort of there for the um, just for the fan service, basically. Yep. But I, I did like Toriel, um, especially the the little sort of subdued romance um, with Killy, one of the dwarves. I thought was <laughs> I thought was it was a nice little subplot, nothing huge or significant, but it was it was touching in its own way. Okay. Well, yeah, I, th- I thought it I thought it helped to kind of develop some of the dwarves, you know, kind of separate some of them because. If they didn't have right. like a, a gimmick, then they all kind of ran together, which well, I think I, they 
to me, they do in the book a lot. And I like this because it's like giving each of them their own distinct personality. Yeah. And this one, a little more than, than in the first one, they do a slightly better job of, you know, differentiating these dwarves. So they're a little bit more than just, uh, the fat one, the handsome one, the old one, right. et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, giving them real personalities. Yeah, and that but, was uh, that was certainly a problem in the first one. That you, you're right. I mean, it, it did it didn't seem quite as pronounced in this one. But I still can't tell you my favorite dwarf. I can't tell you what his name is. I, the older one, the one with the gray hair. I mean, yeah, the one know. that Ken Stott plays. Yeah, but um, Balin or whatever. I have no idea. See, I, I think it's Balin. <laughs> poorly characterized, unfortunately. No, uh, it's it's say, Balin. He's from Lord of the Rings, like uh, from Fellowship of the Ring. It's his tomb they go to. Yeah, Balin's tomb in uh, the Mines of Moria. Yeah, okay. Mines, it yeah, is. It him. is Balin. I was just looking it up. Ken Stott plays Balin. Mm-hmm. Did any of you, um, by chance, have the opportunity to watch uh, any of the special features on the extended edition of The Hobbit? No. Negative. Not yet. Okay. I, I'm going to confess that I sat through all nine hours of the of the wow. documentaries. <laughs> That's on cool. That. Okay, but, you, but you are to be applauded. But but here's the thing though, um, there were two sort of big impressions I came away with. One is that um, that's probably the nicest cast and crew in the world. Like everybody just seems like a genuinely good person. Mm. Um, and, and two, the dwarves really, uh, I mean, behind the scenes they were so well developed, and it's such a shame that didn't really translate into the movie itself. Because after watching those, I feel like I know so much about those dwarves, their histories, who they are, where they come from, yeah. what their families are like, you know, why they do little tiny things they do in the movie. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, but in the movie, you know, it's just it's it's not there or at least it won't translate unless you've bothered to watch nine hours of documentary. <laughs> right. So and, and which I will, you know, I, I think the movie should <laughs> carry a bit more of that burden. Mm. All right, well, I mean, I've already started diving into my dislikes, so uh, guys, feel free to jump in here. Uh, and, and, and again, like, this was the first thing on my list, is is Legolas. Why is he in this film? And, and did anybody else feel like his fight scenes looked just awful? Like, like there was nothing, like, they just felt really strange. Like, I don't know, just too slick or something, which I know Legolas's style of fighting, I even had this complaint a little bit in Lord of the Rings where he slides down the trunk of an elephant, you know, and hops off and, you know, he's, he's, he's the pretty boy, but something felt really off about it here in this film. Well, that's what I was going to say. Did you not see Lord of the Rings films? I mean, that's kind of his <laughs> shtick. I, mean, I, 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 go ahead. I have the same problem with his action scenes that I had with some of Spider-Man's scenes in the very first Spider-Man movie. Which is that they feel so weightless. I mean, exactly. it, it feels like a 10-pound character bouncing around on top of everything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the the special effects areas where I felt something was lacking. And it's weird how inconsistent uh, both special effects and CGI are in general in, in these movies. Because yes. when it's good, it's amazing. It's as good as anything out there. But then when it's bad, it's it's really bad. Right. So I, <laughs> You know, I, I I don't know. It's 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 very strange. Yeah, I put this in the same. Those who listened to the previous episode on the, the first Hobbit film um, last year, uh, I had the same complaint about Azog. Although we saw very little of him in this film, it's the same thing, and he feels so poorly rendered. And and I would put this stuff with Legolas in that same category of when it's bad, it's really bad. And none of it with Legolas worked for me at all. Just it was just very poorly done. 
I, I, and it, it's shocking, you know, when, when Lord of the Rings, I can't think, I mean, I know that I was actually, my kids were watching Lord of the Rings and I walked by and was watching some of it. And I know that to some extent the CGI is a little bit dated, but some of it feels far better than, than some of this, this, uh, uh, stuff that we saw with Legolas. Mm. So it's, it's a little strange to me. I, I did mean, enjoy I, the I barrel sequence though, just due to the, the elegance of the choreography. There was a lot of choreography there. Yes. Yeah. Fizz, I think you were trying to say something. I think it was Chad. Yeah, it was oh, me. Chad. Um, Sorry, I I didn't find a whole lot of problems with the CGI as far as the fighting goes. I thought the fight scenes with Legolas were fun and with Tariel, um, but like you, I did have the same issue. Why were they there? Um, yeah. I I didn't care for the romantic subplot. That that's just me. I think if they had found a better excuse to make up those ca- or make up Tariel and bring Legolas in, then I would have been more okay with it. Because if if not for anything but the nostalgia of it. Uh, it was nice to see a familiar face, um, but I, I didn't care for the subplot, and um, I could have done without uh, the elves, and I could have done without... I, I still don't like the orcs hunting down Thorin. Well, Chad, I mean, the reason that she was there was so we could get that really shiny light behind her during that one scene, right? I mean, <laughs> Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You don't don't understand why she and Legolas are in this film. Um the for the most part and this is where i'm really gonna maybe raise the ire of fizz um i i really don't feel like the i feel like this whole thing where they're they're trying trying to fit the narrative of the hobbit into the lord of the rings feels forced let the hobbit be the hobbit you know we we don't need and and probably raise your ire too chad from what you were saying earlier we we don't need all this backstory stuff um what we need to do is we need to tell the story that is the Hobbit. It, it, it is essentially, for me, the Hobbit is a story that is happening in Middle-earth that happened before the Lord of the Rings that doesn't have to be so tightly connected. Yeah, you, you and I actually talked about this briefly before I saw the film uh, last week. Uh, we, we had that text conversation where we both said that the issue with the first film, at least, was that um, the focus wasn't necessarily completely on the Hobbit. It was a, a focus on Tolkien's Middle Earth as a blanket. And the things they did, they fit in or tried to fit in in the first film didn't work as well at that time. But I do think that it worked a lot better in this film. And I really liked Gandalf's side scenes. But okay. that, that's just me. To each his own, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It well, goes back to what Clark was saying earlier, um, where if you take this as an adaptation of The Hobbit, then you're going to be disappointed. You have to see this almost as a prequel to Lord of the Rings, even though that's not how the the, the way the book works. If right. you see it as a prequel to the Lord of the Rings with elements or the story of the Hobbit, not just elements um, of the Hobbit fit in and see it as part of this larger blanket universe, then it works really well. I guess part of my problem with that, though, here I, I just I just realized a way that I can say this that that I think this gets to the root of what I'm trying to say is I get that 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 Peter Jackson is trying to do this whole uh, uh, prequel to the to the Lord of the Rings thing, but it feels disconnected. It feels disjointed. Like for, we're off over here with 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 Gandalf, and then we're back to this journey that the that the dwarves are on that has nothing to do with the bigger picture. That they're you know Thorin just wants his gold and his kingdom back, that, and that's all that he wants. And yeah, but it does have to do with the bigger picture. I think that's the thing. How so? I feel I feel like that complaint is like a a similar complaint to like watching Lord of the Rings and be like, well, I don't understand why like Frodo is way over here, and then you know the the horse people don't want to fight but, okay, at but, all. But but everything they were doing in Lord of the Rings was connected. 
And, and yeah, what, what's going is, on with Thorin is not. Yeah, but Thorin's whole thing is something that Gandalf's instigating because he thinks it's going to help Middle Earth be like better and more secure. I mean, like he's not down with Thorin just wanting gold for gold's sake. But I mean, Gandalf puts him on this quest because he's setting things right. Because he needs to put Smaug down. Because there doesn't need to be that the you know Smaug has been in sitting there comfortably for too long. You know, mm. like that that's not the way the world's supposed to be. So I mean, this uh, Chad is exactly right. I was going to say I was going to echo what Clark had said. You know, if this is just an adaptation, it fails. But it's not. And, and I understand that you can put this that you could have made The Hobbit in one like three hour movie that would have just hit on the major story elements. But this is basically I mean, you could have called it Middle Earth parts one, two and three. And, and it's everything that's going on in, in Middle Earth, which is why it feels a little bit disjointed. But Gandalf basically rides around trying to like set Middle Earth right. And this is one of the major stories that happens because it affects tons and tons of people. And I'm okay with that. I don't care that it's long. Okay. <laughs> because like I said, I, I'm enveloped in the world and I love it. Um, and I mean, there are parts that, you know, if you want to talk about dislikes, there are parts that I, I didn't like that were a little long. I mean, the, the wacky elaborate smog or smog trap that they, yeah. they do. I think it took away from the fact that there was a really great <laughs> scene right before it that Bilbo and smog had, um, so, so, I mean, there, it's not, it's not like it's perfect or I think it's perfect, but when you, I, I realize that this isn't just the book, the Hobbit. And so I'm completely okay with that because I realize there's a difference. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense it, in a, in a, in a sort of way that I don't agree with. <laughs> You're saying it makes sense in a way that makes me think that you don't think it makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I see where you're coming from. And, and yeah, it, it helps me a little see, see that side of it. I, I don't agree with it, but, um, you know, and, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy the film, but but ultimately this and this is my last dislike, and and we'll see if you guys have anything else to weigh in with. Um, uh, it, ultimately, it's just too darn long. I mean, this entire trilogy should have been made in in one film, or at the very most two. Um, I, I feel like that this is just nobody can say no to Peter Jackson anymore, and and things are starting to feel a little bit worn out. Um, my overwhelming feeling at the end of the film, and this is not a good feeling to have at the end of the film, was. Ah, oh, that was great. Ugh, we still have three more hours of this of this thing before it's over. <laughs> so th- that that's not a great feeling to walk out of the theater with. And and, and and that would have been a different feeling if it had been the end. And and I'd been oh that was that was really enjoyable. And and now it's over. That's that's good. I don't know. That that that's kind of my my summary of my dislikes. That's fair. <laughs> and my cat is jumping off and making a whole bunch of noise here. Where did Clark go? I haven't heard from Clark. I'm here. I'm, I'm okay. listening intently. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's let's start bringing this in for a landing and 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 making any um, closing statements, if if you will. Um, so, uh, what else have you got as as we start kind of winding this thing down? I, I do want to toss. Oh, go ahead. No, you you go ahead. Okay. Well, I I do want to toss in one dislike or disappointment, more like. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, TJ, but Howard Shore's score um, was very disappointing to me because he's done. A, I really think his work on the three Lord of the Rings films is one of the greatest achievements in film music of the 21st century. Definitely, yes. And uh, his work on The Hobbit was was very good, if not quite great, but it was very good and anchored by that uh, Misty Mountain theme, mm-hmm. which which he didn't write, granted, but still yeah. a very good theme. Um, 
This one, though, th- there, there were a couple of moments that stood out here and there uh, in some of the more ac- action-centric scenes, but for the most part, it, it felt very bland, like it was just sort of Lord of the Ringsy sound design uh, that, that he just, he, he it, it seemed like he was bored with this movie for some reason. Um, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, the, it's the least distinctive of his scores thus far. I agree with that assessment completely. I, there was nothing that was stand out to me, and and to me, I, I suppose it's such a disappointment for me coming off of the the Hobbit, which was I I think held its own quite nicely in the series, mm-hmm. and and there are there are themes from the Hobbit that you call to mind that 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 weren't in Lord of the Rings, you know, such as the Misty Mountains theme and and, and other things that kind of were woven through that film that just simply aren't present here, and and why didn't we get any of that Misty Mountain theme in this film? I don't remember hearing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't either, honestly, and. It- uh, I haven't listened to the soundtrack album all the way through yet, partially because it's like nine hours long, <laughs> or whatever it is. But but I, I didn't recall hearing it in the film, which was disappointing. Chad, do you have you you're also a soundtrack guy. Do you have a defense of of the soundtrack for this film? Um, I haven't listened to it enough to really say anything one way or another. I admit I didn't pay too much attention to it while watching the film for the first time. Um, I was paying more attention to the rest of the film, but I, I do have the soundtrack. I've listened through it once or twice, and I like it, but uh, I, I think it's fair to say that there's nothing coming to mind that really stands out. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing. Do you have anything to add on that score, Fizz? No, um, I'm not. I mean, I love music, but movie soundtracks typically, I'm, I can't speak okay. very smartnessly <laughs> about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, okay. So uh, for me, uh, just kind of winding things down here, um, I, I think it's certainly worth seeing. And don't let don't let any of my negativity drag it down too much for you. I mean, this is what I do. I, I evaluate films, and I I, I try to find, I, I try to explore why I did or didn't like certain aspects of a film or did or didn't like it on the whole. And and so that's kind of what I was doing here. But I did enjoy the film enough to give it a three and a half out of five star rating. Oh, whoops, I wrote four in the outline. I meant five. Um, so three and a half out of five. Um, and that's, that's you know, it's not, you know, four star territory is where you're starting to get into high praise. So it's not quite there, but it's, it's fine. Three and a half stars for me is, sure, I would definitely recommend seeing this in the theater. And, and certainly the scope of the film is more probably more enjoyable in the theater. Uh, I never saw. I, I know this is this is terrible. I wasn't into movies very much at the time. I never saw any of the Lord of the Rings in the theater, and for that, I will always be sad. So it's okay. I haven't either. So definitely, I think see this one in the theater. What do you guys? Well, say? The, the extended editions are better. So you got you got the better movie at home. I do agree <laughs> that, that and see. Oh, 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 we were going to circle back to this. So let's let's talk about this for just a minute. Um, with the Lord of the Rings, the theatrical versions left enough to the extended editions that the extended editions were a desirable thing. This is this is my opinion. I love the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings. They're very long films that way, but but the things that were put in uh, felt like good extended edition material, and I don't think you would want them in the theatrical cut. Um, however. I don't understand what you would extend from The Hobbit, which was two hours and some. What wasn't it? Two hours and forty-five minutes? Is that correct? Yes. And 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 you you're extending that? I mean, what what is? The, we saw the extended edition, and that was the one they put in the theater. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't actually seen the extended edition of The Hobbit yet. No, I haven't, well, and we're, but, and I'm going to because my wife's a huge fan, and we're definitely going to see it. I I have seen it, and I will say. Um, 
the extended edition of The Hobbit doesn't make nearly as much of an impact on the film uh, as the Lord of the Rings versions did. It adds about 15 minutes because that's, right. that's all they've got left. And I mean, <laughs> I did like it, um, especially uh, the prologue is longer. The stay in Rivendell is longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the stuff there's in Rivendell, a, fo- there's a food great. fight. There's a couple of new songs. But, um, you know, it, it, it's it's the additions are nice, but they don't really change the movie in any real dramatic way like the the Lord of the Rings extended editions did. And I really think they would have been smarter to release a a much leaner theatrical cut, say two hours and 20 minutes or something like that, and then toss out the big three-hour extended edition and let people luxuriate in everything. I I, I really think that would have changed my attitude towards the series. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell you my experience with the Lord of the Rings extended. I I was introduced to the Lord of the Rings by my wife uh, nine years ago. Uh, because we've been married for eight and it was before that. Um, so I think it was about nine years ago when I was introduced to the Lord of the Rings and she had the extended editions. She didn't have the others because why would you have the others? <laughs> so she had the extended <laughs> editions. And so that's how I learned to love the Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then I got this idea that I wanted to watch them again and I went and rented the first one at uh, Blockbuster or Movie Gallery or some such thing that we used to have, us dinosaurs, we used to have those things back in those days. <laughs> and, uh, you you know those if you ever see these uh these 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 round things they're they're kind of a, a, a purplish gold on the bottom and they make great coasters now that that's that's how uh, i was watching the lord of the rings at the time i've heard tales of such devices <laughs> <laughs> uh yes in days of old um, under the misty dvd yes so um so so i went and rented this thing and it wasn't the extended edition and I literally, I was like, what has happened? Where did the movie go? I don't, you know, that's how dramatic the difference is in the Lord of yeah. the Rings extended versus the theatrical cuts. And and I, like you're saying, that that's just not, that just doesn't exist for The Hobbit, and I don't see how it ever could. And it's 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 sad. It's it's kind of like there, there's not that aha moment. that They've kind of revealed it all. They've, they've laid it all out on the table, and now it's just out there. Yeah, and I mean, admittedly, I'll, I'll probably be sticking with the extended edition, if for nothing else, for that um, Troll King song. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's 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 not um, it's it's doesn't make a huge impact, and I'm curious to see whether that will change with either of the upcoming releases. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a little bit of a deviation from the wind down. So let's let's continue the wind down there. Uh, if you, uh, Chad, why don't you why don't you wind down your your thoughts for us? Okay. Um, I really enjoyed this film on the whole. I thought it was a lot more natural and enjoyable than the first film was. And um, for that reason, I think I gave the first film maybe three or three and a half stars. I'm giving this one four stars out of five. I, I just think it's an improvement. Um, I I. It was it was a good film. I have my complaints, but it doesn't detract terribly from uh, my final rating. Okay, Fizz. Well, I did enjoy the film a lot. Like I said, I enjoyed the first one better somehow. Uh, but with the fact that the two major problems I had with this film were kind of towards the end, with like like I said, the wacky and elaborate smog trap or smog trap that simply seemed to make no difference, and, and I. I know that there's going to be another movie, but I think when you stop a movie, it needs to be like at a pause. And I feel like this one stopped mid sentence. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, we saw that like in catching fire and stuff. Like there is still obviously more mo- movie to be made. There's still more story to be told, but they're kind of at a pause at the end of the first Hobbit film. There's a pause. They got done with like an action sequence, but this one's like, 
the dragon's flying. What? Wait, 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 wait. Why are we stopping now? And that really, that really bothered me for some reason. I Um, am death. Sorry. Good. (laughs) Um, so like I said, I think it's probably cause it was the, the last thing I had in my head when I left the theater. So I ended up giving this one uh, three and a half stars. And I think if I watch it again, I'll probably end up giving it four stars, which is oh, I would have given the first Hobbit movie a solid four stars. So like, and, just and see, I brought you on this, this episode because I wanted somebody to defend the Hobbit. Cause I figured at least me and Clark would probably be a little more negative. Like we were about the first one, if I'm remembering correctly. So yeah. You're, you're in the same territory I am there, man. Yeah, I am. Like I said, I think I think if I watch it again, I'll probably re, you know change it to four stars. But like I said, the bad taste in my mouth because I mean I, I enjoyed almost the whole movie up until the very end. Agreed. Um, so I think a second watching will, will probably you know when I watch the extended edition, whenever it comes out like in a year, I'll probably be like, man, this was like a four star movie. Yeah. But you know, it's still it's still far from perfect. Um, so it's got some room to improve, and I, but I'm still looking forward to the third one. And I think if anyone enjoys the Lord of the Rings series or Peter Jackson's just uh, vision Over for this, this story, well, <laughs> I think his vision for this world, then there's no reason that you should not be going to see this film, especially in the theater. Okay. And Clark? Um, I, I guess I'm going to, you know, be the one coming to the defense of this one. Not, not that anybody else really disliked it, but um, I, I had a blast with it really um, more in the same way that I had a blast with Peter Jackson's King Kong than mm. I did with any of the other Lord of the Rings movies. It really is much more of an adventure film. And like I said, I was thinking of Indiana Jones quite a bit in mm-hmm. this one too. I mean, I was, you know, being a little sarcastic earlier, but there were quite a few moments that reminded me of, of Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. and uh, that style of action adventure film. But it, it's really tremendously entertaining. And I, I feel like I've got to stick up for the ending here, too. I, I thought the conclusion of the movie was fairly exhilarating. Uh, and I get the same kind of rush from it that I do from the ending of The Empire Strikes Back or much more recently uh, from the ending of the second Hunger Games film, where it just kind of uh, stops right at the moment it's propelling into something else and uh well, that, that sounds I, I familiar it, fizz that I think is, it, that's ex- <laughs> uh, good good clark well I'm i was sorry. just I, I think it works quite effectively and i was also um speaking of closing lines in the movie and sentences um i loved uh bilbo's what have we done being sort of a callback to uh the bridge over the river kwai and um you know, this movie concluding with a very similar sort of um, large scale action sequence as that one and mm. uh, everything sort of crumbling and plans going awry. And uh, it, I, I thought that was a surprisingly um, clever touch on Peter Jackson's part. This is this is a much different movie from anything else in, in the Lord of the Rings franchise in terms of tone and style. But I, I had a blast with it, really. So I'd go 4.5 out of 5. Which is much more than I was expecting from you. I'm trying. Do you, do you remember what you rated the first film? I want to say 3.5 out of 5. Yeah. The, that sounds about right. Okay, yeah, because that's what I rated the first film. And and that is also what I rate this film, is 3.5 out of 5. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, interesting uh, sh- shifting of the cards there. Uh, 
So, and and the guy I brought on to defend it a little more turns out that uh, his rating is the same as mine. So. <laughs> and I had my own metaphor used against me. Yes, you did. <laughs> that was from uh, the previous. I don't remember if it was directly the. No, it would have been a couple episodes ago. But you, you know, you use that exact same uh, Empire Strikes Back thing. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I think to Clark's defense, I mean, like I almost exactly agree with Clark. I just don't see that being the same in this movie because when we did Catching Fire, I, I said that the end of Catching Fire reminded me sacrilegiously to TJ <laughs> of of the Empire Strikes Back that like there's something happening. There's a little bit of hope, but you know, things are about to get really, really crazy. Yeah. Um but I like I said, that's why I didn't feel with this film. I, I don't feel like there's a lot of hope. Except for the fact that I know the Lord of the Rings happens, you know, that I, I feel <laughs> like, oh well, everything's gone. There's no hope. We're all dead. No, there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of doom on the horizon in this one. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I certainly uh, I didn't feel I I would agree more with Clark on the ending. Like I didn't have any problem with the way it ended, and, and you know, certainly you know you're in the middle of the story, and you you know you're you're wondering well, what's going to happen to Lake Town, and and despite the fact that you had the silly Stephen Fry King guy, you know, you still don't want the inhabitants of Lake Town to to be burned up with the with the dragon fire so i, I have to say i did kind of um adore stephen fry's performance <laughs> there he he's, awesome <laughs> he's like this wonderful like kind of almost like he's something out of a charles dickens novel yes this <laughs> rumpled evil figure but uh yeah he was great yeah the um e- evil kind of but but like m- more just like silly right a buffoonish sort of yes villain. yes there you go yeah definitely well, I think that uh, that kind of brings us in for a landing for the uh, the Hobbit: The Desolation of Smaug. Um, Chad, you and I we're going to do an episode before the end of the year. I hope. I just don't know when that is. Uh, so we'll have to talk about that soon. Uh, we've been talking. We've had these vague kind of plans of of doing an episode that kind of talks about the, a general overview of of the year and the films that we liked and disliked in general and and kind of what 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 might be on the horizon in 2014 even though even though every movie in the entire world has been slated for 2015 i'm sure there are a few coming out in 2014 we can, <laughs> we can look forward to yeah so uh man 2015 that's going to be quite the year isn't it it is <sighs> All right, so with that, uh, we will not be recording any more episodes before Christmas for sure, so uh, I want to take this time to say Merry Christmas to all of you, my uh, uh, fellow uh, podcast hosts, and Merry Christmas to all of you listeners. I hope you have a great Christmas, and uh, if uh, if people want to keep up with you online, Clark, or if they want to kind of, you know, I know you do another podcast and stuff, where could they do that at? Uh, the, the sort of central hub for much of what I do is over at uh, dvdverdict.com. I write a number of DVD and Blu-ray reviews for that website. Um, and then they also host the podcast I do, which is the Sounds and Sights of Cinema, uh, spotlighting movie music. You can just click the podcast link on the site there, and um, then I bounce around here and there and other corners of the Internet, too. But that's that's the, the main spot, yeah. Cool. All right. And uh, Fizz, where can people find your work? I know you have your own podcast, and you you love to kind of pimp it and stuff. So why don't you do that? <laughs> well, I don't want to let you down, TJ. <laughs> no, um, far be it from I, you. Yeah, though, I was gonna say though, I do feel like uh, Clark just let Chad know what his new favorite podcast is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But if anyone out there would like to take a look at some of the popular films that have come out this year or or, basically any year from a more thematic or theological perspective, then feel free to check out my podcast, Real World Theology. That's R-E-E-L, World Theology. Uh, You can find us on the web at realworldtheology.com, on Facebook, or on iTunes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Physification or the podcast Twitter at RealWorldTheo. And uh, we'll be recording a special ad- uh, additional Christmas episode uh, this year. Uh, this year, And we'll be doing our own Desolation of Smaug episode a little bit later this month, too, So to kind of kick the year off. Always a day late and a dollar short, eh? <laughs> well, I mean, I like to give people uh, more people a time to digest the movie because it's okay. not just like, was it good or bad? Should you go see it? It's like you've watched it. You're really thinking about it. Why is it sticking with you? I'm I'm kidding. I listen to every episode that you do, so and I enjoy it. And I listen to every episode that you uh, put out, Clark. So, oh well, thank you. Uh, so, Chad, uh, where will people find you around the internet? Okay, you can still find me at my site, chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and at Twitter at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. D-A-D-A. All right, and you can also find me online. Sorry, I can never resist that, Chad. I've noticed. And so you can find me online. I do all my writing, and and I actually have another podcast that I also do here on moviebyte.com. That's where you'll find me. You can check out my other podcast I do every week. It's at the end of the week, kind of wrapping up the movie news. Moviebyte.com slash the wrap. You can find me on Twitter. I'm TJ Draper Pro. And... If you if you think about it, if you love this episode, uh, and if you haven't yet, please take the time to head over to iTunes, search for a movie bite, we're the first result, and just give us a nice five star rating there. We would much appreciate that. That'll help uh, people find the podcast and uh, keep uh, the conversation going. And with that, we're going to sign off. I hope again that you guys have a merry Christmas, and we will talk to you hopefully before the end of the year. Thanks, guys. Thank merry you much. Christmas. Merry Christmas.